Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the. I feel like we need a drum roll. Geekdom Underground podcast. Geekdom Underground. Wow, I got to get used to saying that. I'm not. I'm not used to saying that. It yet. sounds so so nice. Like we haven't heard it yet. And so maybe maybe you don't know, but last week's episode was our final episode of the Coffee Club podcast. So. Our podcast used to be called The Coffee Club, and it didn't really make sense anymore because we don't really drink coffee or talk about coffee or like mm-hmm. coffee, really. So, <laughs> I know, I know, hot take. Hot take. Hot take on coffee. Well, it's not that I don't like coffee, I just, I rarely drink it. Yeah. And so, every time people would be like, what do you, what coffee are you drinking? And I was like, hiding my monster. Like, You know, that's oh. fair. That's fair. It's yeah. not that I don't like coffee. Coffee doesn't like me. Th- that's, 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 that's fair. That's, that's the thing. Is that like, if I drink coffee, see... I have a lot of energy, and if if I drink coffee, I'm up for like four days. Yeah, even a cup in the morning. Even even a a cup of Joe in the morning. Cup just in the morning gets me. I really thought rocking. you were going to take that to a different level, which was like the diuretic effects of coffee, mm. not wow. the energy effects. Wow, you are unpredictable. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, thank you. But also the diuretic effects, which is <laughs> that's a part of it. That's the largest word I've used today. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it is. <laughs> Once again, a beautiful morning in downtown San downtown. Antonio, Texas, and we are in the the beautiful underground podcast studio located in Geekdom. I love it, dude. I'm super happy to be here. Let me let me start with an intro. Sure. My name is Philip Hernandez, and I'm excited to get this podcast episode one kicked off today wow geekdom underground i am the coo here at geekdom and excited to get this rocking and rolling please sir yeah. introduce yourself john ryan garcia some folks call me jrg the boy that boy jrg um marketing manager at geekdom and podcast enthusiast lover and uh i, I just love doing this and i'm really excited for episode number one we have someone really amazing that we're talking to today yes so let's get it started. Who are you? Yes. Hi. I'm so excited to be here for podcast episode one. The first one. You're welcoming it. Yes. You're the, we're, we're pioneers. This is such a highlight. That's right. Um, I am Jennifer Newell. I am a first time entrepreneur and the founder of a company called Betty's Co. We are a women's health company specializing in care for younger women. So roughly ages 15 to 25. Um, but really, we offer gynecology, mental health and counseling and wellness care for younger women. Wow, that's that's awesome. Thank you so much for bringing that to us. So you said first-time entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So by that you mean like this is your first like venture where you're doing it yourself and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. So, Never done this before. So what was what was before Betty's Co? What was Jennifer Newell doing? That's a great question because I never set out to be an entrepreneur. I was very happy with my cushy corporate job in marketing at a big healthcare consulting company. Um, And then I later went to a marketing company that specialized in higher education, Mm. enrollment and recruitment for new students. And I loved it. I was on this path to be a chief marketing officer. I wanted to work for a large company. I was happy there. My paycheck was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, so never really set out. I know a lot of people actually go into entrepreneurship with the um, the the really goal of starting a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they look for the businesses that, you know, the market um, kind of demands yep. and they create their business model from that. Mine was a little bit of the reverse. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I had this idea for a business that, you know, the market is in high demand 
And once I had this concept in my head, I just couldn't get rid of it. It just kept nagging at me until I had to do something about it. That's so cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's super awesome. Was that, that idea that you had, was that something that um, was like a personal passion thing? Or was that something that you experienced during your, your previous job that kind of sparked that? Or how did you come up with that? It's really this perfect combination of all of the above. So I had a personal experience as a young woman. I was 17. I was diagnosed with a pre-existing condition that um, left me infertile. And so I had to enter women's healthcare at a really young age. And then I, on my own, had to navigate that healthcare system, which is really, really difficult for adult women, much less young women who have had no introduction kind of to the world of women's health and gynecology and all it entails. So I had that experience. But after college, I stumbled into healthcare, and I was working at a um, a boutique consulting firm that really specialized in managing physician practices. The company would go into these big hospitals and health systems that owned um, large medical groups. So think, you know, UT Health. We think about the hospital system, but UT Health has a large medical group. Those things operate really differently. Mm-hmm. So the company I worked for would go in and would help those company help those health systems better manage their medical groups. And I spent yeah. about 10 years there doing a variety of jobs in business development, project planning, marketing, mm-hmm. content development. Um, so I, I kind of like to say that I cut my teeth by listening to, um, hospitals talk about how hard it is to run medical groups. And yet one day I woke up and I was like, I guess today I'll start a medical group. It was <laughs> my a, legally blonde my moment. <laughs> right. But like, it's hard. Yeah. Um, and so I did that for a long time. And so it was kind of this combination of the two. I had a lot of healthcare experience, healthcare administration experience with my own personal experiences And then I was also doing a lot in my personal life with younger women. Um, I lead Bible studies with teenagers. And so we talk often about women's healthcare issues. And so I just was always on the other end of hearing stories from women about what their experiences, you know, were and had been. Mm -hmm. And I think that combination just led to this. Yeah, that's really interesting. And thank you for sharing. I know that there's a a very personal side of this. So Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that it's through conversations like this that that awareness and education mm-hmm. is out there. Absolutely. Because, you know, like for somebody like me, I, I didn't know how difficult it was to navigate through the healthcare system until we, so I have three kiddos, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until, you know, we started going to those appointments that I realized that like, it is, it's a lot. There's, right. there's just, there's very specific doctors for very specific things. And um, so- I want to talk about that if you're comfortable. Um, How is it navigating that health system as a teenager? And especially if you get like what can be a really scary diagnosis. Yeah, it's a great question. So think about it. I mean, even for guys, it's guys and girls, right? You go through pediatrics. Mm -hmm. Maybe you stay at your pediatrician until you're about 18. Mm -hmm. Pediatricians can actually care for their patients until 21. Medically, that is the age of adolescence. Mm. And so there is no process for pediatricians to refer out to another provider until it's needed. But most, you know, young people aren't still with their pediatrician at 21. Um, They typically go off to college, move away from home. They're in this really transitional time of their lives. And so we're not capturing as a healthcare industry that particular population really well. And we kind of know that, like the healthcare Mm -hmm. industry knows that. So if you are a student and you graduate from high school, you don't see your pediatrician, you go off to college, maybe you go to the college clinic because you know that that's available. 
otherwise you really don't go anywhere. You might go to Walgreens, uh, you know, or a CVS minute clinic if you have strep throat or allergy problems, something like that, but you might not see your primary care doctor. Um, for women in particular, the recommended age that they start seeing a gynecologist is actually 13 to 15. But again, there's not a mechanism to refer them out. And pediatricians who can care for young women at that age typically don't unless there's a problem that they think really needs specialty care. Mm -hmm. However, that leaves those young women and their parents of their own volition to decide, I need to go get this routine checkup. And the reason that age range is important is because most girls start their periods around 12. And that just starts a whole different healthcare process for women that just doesn't exist for men. It's not that there aren't other issues that exist for men, but women actually do need ongoing preventive care starting in their mid-teens. And so we have to get them in and we're not. And so what that means is maybe like your experience, so many women do not end up going to a gynecologist until they're ready to become pregnant or maybe they're experiencing experiencing an unexpected pregnancy mm -hmm. and that's because the entire narrative around women's health is really focused on pregnancy you know you're either trying to avoid it make it happen or manage it mm -hmm. and that's just not the case for women you know yeah. and that means that you know for parents for young women for even providers out there you know that centers the entire conversation about women's health not just on pregnancy but on sexual activity and that can be uncomfortable for us to think about, like, collectively as a, as a society where we are. And the problem with that is that's so narrowly focused, and women's healthcare is so comprehensive. Like, the way that a woman's body works is really beautiful, but our cycle, we're on a, a natural cycle if everything is healthy. That cycle can affect my moods, my energy levels, what I want to eat that day, just overall wellness things. Um, but it's also reciprocated. So if you have mental health concerns or you have issues in your wellness, like your diet and your exercise routine, that can affect your cycle. We know that, you know, women who work out heavily, very aggressively to a point that it's unhealthy and then maybe their diet, they're not having enough caloric intake, that's going to stop their menstrual cycle. So it's kind of a fifth vital sign for, for women. And if something's off with it, we need to know that in the healthcare profession and help them manage that because it can be a signal that there are some big things that are wrong. And women just don't know until they get into that age where they're ready to start thinking about having families and getting pregnant and they can't. And then it's wow. devastating. Yeah. Wow. That, that transitions from like you thinking about your general health into mm -hmm. family planning. And mm -hmm. those are two very different headspaces. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're a young woman, you're not thinking about getting pregnant. You don't want to get pregnant. And, yeah. you know, you just want to make sure that everything is working like it's supposed to and that you're yeah. healthy and they have a lot of questions and we're just not capturing them soon enough. We're capturing them after they've had traumatic experiences or, you know, just lifestyle milestones that all of us experience, but we're not helping them navigate that in a healthy way. And so that's what we want to do with Betty's. Yeah, that's wow. That's very inspiring. And, you know, so I have two daughters mm -hmm. and um, that's something that I'm fearful of, you know, because just hearing you speak about it, and I've heard, full disclosure, I've heard you speak about this before, um, but, you know, as I've learned more about the mission that you're on, I've realized, like, how big of an oversight that is, that gap between mm -hmm. when you're having your, you know, pediatrician and then seeing a gynecologist. So how does, like, how do women do that today? Are there groups out there that, that help with that? How did you get through that? That's a really good question. Um, I kind of went through it the hard way. So, 
today, if you go a very typical route, which is you see your mom's gynecologist, <laughs> which is kind of what it is. And in some cases, that might be the doctor that delivered you as a baby. Um, wow. So that can be a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you you're you probably maybe have an active parent who says, you know, let's go ahead and take you to the GYN, you know, get you used to seeing a women's health professional and we'll talk you through it. So for me, that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but the challenges within the healthcare industry today make it really difficult for providers to give the attention they need to younger women um, who need about 45 minutes for a visit to sit down and they need someone who is going to help them source questions that they don't even know they need to ask. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talk to a lot of young women. One of the things that they tell me is I, I don't really know. Wh- I don't know what I need. I don't know. Why would I even make an appointment with a gynecologist? I don't, I don't, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in their next breath, they tell me a whole host of things that are going on with them that make me say, that's why you need to go see an OBGYN. But you need to have doctors that can take the time to pull that from their patients, which yeah. they're not used to doing because as women get older and they have more experiences, they know what to tell their doctor. Mm-hmm. Also, the healthcare industry, most private practices or most typical physician practices, it's a volume game. You know, there's actually not a lot of money in preventive care kind of services that that physicians offer, and they have a really hard time making ends meet and just paying for their practice staff and the technology and all of the administrative burden that is on them. Mm -hmm. And so it's a volume game. So my personal OBGYN has told me she has to see about 35 patients a day, 35 patients a day. You cannot spend more than five to 10 minutes with each patient and see 35 patients a day. You just can't. So- we're thinking about it from a different model standpoint. So to answer your question, that's kind of the experience, right? You go to mom's OBGYN, she spends 10 minutes with you. You get your labs and your tests done. Everything come back, comes back clear, hopefully. But you leave and you feel like, wait, now I'm thinking about these other things. Maybe I should have asked my doc about. Yeah. And there's no mecha- mechanism to really go back and ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, you kind of just do that over and over every year until it's one day you're like, okay, let's, let's talk about fertility. And that's not to dig on providers that are out there who are very capable, high quality clinicians. Mm -hmm. They are very, there are very good physicians out there. It's simply the model, the current model in healthcare doesn't allow them to spend the time they need with patients. And that's what they want too. Yeah. But they just can't do that and, you know, have the financials aligned to it. Yeah. The other thing that we have, and this is, um, maybe more prevalent in Texas and in Southern states and really in conservative states. Um, There are other providers out there who offer a host of preventive services. Um, I'll just, I'll throw it out there. Planned Parenthood is the only nationally um, recognized, nationally branded women's healthcare company. They offer a lot of preventive care services. And regardless, you know, Betty's is not a political organization or a religious organization. Um, We don't offer pregnancy care. There's a reason for that because we want to be able to welcome all young women in. And the women that I talk to, the younger women I talk to, they feel like their choice of a healthcare place that they know for women's care is a political statement or it's a negative experience because they're walking by protesters and maybe all they need to do is go in and get, you know, preventive services, right? Get a pap smear to make sure they don't have cervical cancer because that's the recommended. And they just don't know where else to go. And so they feel like they're having to, you know, there's a lot that's hanging in the balance for them personally of, okay, do I go against my family's beliefs and go to this provider? But it's the only one I know about and I don't know where else to go. 
Yeah. And it's the only one that's affordable because everywhere else is going to charge me $250 for a well woman visit. And I can't afford that. That's so much. I mean, it's, um, it sounds like, I mean, you're doing amazing work. Right? Yeah. And then that's, it's, a, it's awesome. It's, you're obviously super passionate about it as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I love how, and same with me, I've seen you pitch and, you know, you're in the space all the time. And I love how there's, it's also just about community too, like bringing people together, making it acceptable to talk about these things, but mm-hmm. like bringing people together so that it's educational and people don't feel like they're alone in these matters. Right. I wish that we could just put a microphone in our office sometime because we have, um, June has been a really big month for us. We had, at the end of May, we hired our very first employee who is a nurse care coordinator. Oh, Um, nice. Yes. And then at the beginning of June, we started two summer interns who are fantastic. Both are um, young college women. Yes. Right on. We're so grateful to them. They do great work. And then we hired our creative director toward the end of June. And we set up our space in the Geekdom office. We have our office. It's all set up. So we have a team in the office now, which is for me as a, you know, the founder who is kind of, who is a solopreneur doing this on my own. It feels so good to have a team. But the conversations that we have all throughout the day just run the gamut of, you know, (laughs) funny chats, um, you know, awkward moments, mm-hmm. how to overcome them. We talked about bikini waxing today and gave tips on like, here's what you need to know because as much as you can Google and you can search those things, the details still aren't there. It's just yeah. kind of glossed over. And I think that's maybe the piece, John, that you mentioned about community is what mm-hmm. is so important is when I look at content online and there's some decent content online, um, it still glosses over yeah. a lot of it. And for us, we just want to normalize women's health. Like it's all super normal. It's 50% of the population, Yeah. right? 50% of the population has a menstrual cycle. We have periods, we have pelvic exams and pap smears and all of these things are super normal. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to have real conversations about those and set clear expectations with our customers. We call them our Bettys. <laughs> with our Bettys about here's what you need to know. And yeah. so that's kind of my line is like, they need to know. And so we don't really hold back when it comes to, you know, what we need to share with them. Sure. Yeah. You, you mentioned that, how like you don't really hold back and you just have those conversations. Um, and so I don't know if you have an answer for this, but why do you think that it's something that's weird to talk about or not really spoken about? Um, the patriarchy. Um, not to yeah. be an uber feminist about it, but I really think a big reason is um, that historically... Um, it just hasn't been proper to talk about private things in public in general, which I think is fair. You know, there are some things we just don't talk about in casual conversation. That's sure. okay. Um, but I also think that for women, again, kind of women's health in particular has been so wrapped up in pregnancy and sexual activity. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for parents to think about their girls being sexually active. Yeah, You know, their nieces or their sisters. It's just, it's a little uncomfortable to think about. Yeah, um, It's, I have a much younger sister and brother. It's uncomfortable for me to think about my little brother being sexually active. And so it just, that discomfort kind of, we, we push away from it. And I think that's a little bit of our society. I think part of that is we live in an individualized society and not a communal society. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are parts of the world where, you know, they live in more communal societies where when it comes to anything related to healthcare, women's health and pregnancy, the community wraps around that girl as she's coming of age and really helps her understand those processes. And we don't do that because we're very much a, I can do this on my own type of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not making any judgments about that. I think it's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, because of the history of um, 
kind of the the stigma around women's health and it being about sexual activity. Um, and then also because in most leadership positions, historically it has been men driving a lot of the conversation, especially anything that is a largely public conversation has been driven by men. Um, the healthcare space has been largely driven by men. So we know that women's research on women's issues has, it's been really underfunded. Mm -hmm. um, there is very little research in the women's health space that's starting to turn a corner now, but it's kind of surprising that it's 2021 and there haven't been any major women's health other than breast cancer, which took yeah. a lot of like grassroots efforts to really make a name for breast cancer awareness. Um, but other gynecological issues and women's health issues have largely gone underfunded, under-researched. Yeah until now. Yeah. Um, that's, it just took, took my breath away on some of those things that, that you're talking about, because I, I agree with you. I think that it's, it's late is there's massive oversights mm -hmm. on, on women's health. Um, what can you mention now? Like, you know, a lot of it has to do with men being, you know, the ones that are leading conversations. What do you think that men can do today to help to bridge this gap and help help with this problem and support the awareness and education? Oh, that's such a great question. And I will say, I think that there are a lot of men who are really leaning into this space. And as I've been in it, I've really started to notice um, men who want to be active in kind of progressing women's health issues. Um goodness, what can they do? I, talk to their daughters. Yeah. You know, have those conversations. I think a lot of fathers can be really involved. Mm -hmm. You know, don't shy away from conversations about periods. Don't leave it to just the mom to manage. Yeah. Um, make sure she's, you know, understanding what time she needs to go seek gynecological care. Ask a lot of questions. I think that's one way is just directly in the family yeah. to build that, that comfort. Um, I think getting involved in organizations that are for women's health um, is a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, I I think get involved with voting, really. Yeah. There's definitely a political element there. Um, and again, Betty's isn't political, and I'm not going to say any particular comment on, on either side of the political spectrum, but I would say get involved in the politics. That way, depending on what wherever you lean with the majority of your your kind of political beliefs, you can at least lean into that space and say, okay, but here's what I need to know about this, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. and here's how it can impact my party. Um, here's how it can impact the constituents. And I think if both sides were really leaning in and look at it, looking at it from that perspective, a more comprehensive women's care um, way, that would be helpful. And then I think the last thing is just learn. Be yeah. educated. Follow women's health influencers. Um, look at research reports on women's health. Um, just be active, actively engaged in some way to better understand. Listen to women's stories, right? Yeah. You know, because there are a lot out there. Every woman has a different healthcare story. Um, and then there are always things like funding and financing for organizations that are out there that are really trying to promote women's health care. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. That's yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, when, uh, so you talked about the issue that all women face in, in their transition from pediatric care. Mm -hmm. um, how does Betty's Co. solve that problem? 
That's a great question. <laughs> My favorite. So what are we doing that's different? Yeah. Um, so we are right now in our very earliest days. We're getting ready to see our first patients next week, actually. Oh, and so, right on. Yeah. Hey, that's Congrats. a celebratory Woo! moment. Yeah, Thank that's you. a milestone. Hey, is that the, the live audience? Hey. That's awesome. Exactly. So we are really honing in on college-aged women. So we're trying to partner with colleges. We're getting on site. For example, San Antonio College here, we're doing an eight-session series in the fall that's women's education series. Um, so we're trying to pull in college students um, in particular. We are changing our model, though. So we are virtual care, and then we'll have a mobile facility. That way we can go to where women aggregate. We can take our mobile facility to college campuses. We can take this to different areas around San Antonio where we know we're going to be able to pull in a larger number of young women and make it easier and more just generally more convenient for them to get care. Um, but the real big thing is, is actually our care model. So we are enabling all of our providers to spend 40 minutes with each patient, wow. which is a lot longer than most. Most will probably plan about a 15 minute visit that'll get whittled down, you know, and delayed, and then it will become a 10 to a five to 10 minute visit. So we are creating a, a kind of a different structure. Um, and the way that we're able to do that is by offsetting our costs of care with a few other revenue streams that I'm actually really excited about. So these other revenue streams are not just intended to be a financial mechanism to offset the cost of care, but they're also there to kind of create demand among our, our, our population. So one is a lifestyle brand. We're building a lifestyle brand. We're active on social media. We do a lot of content. We have a website that has a lot of content and education. We're trying to drive community and um, and conversation and comments through that um, brand. Um, we also plan to take some advertising dollars from it, right? So that's going to be one way that we can offset offset the cost of care so that we can keep it affordable for young women. The second thing that we're doing is we are creating a retail space called the Awkward Shop which I'm really excited about. That's awesome. Nice. So in terms of going and, and, and finding patients and, and kind of bringing them in because we are we have to do that, we have to create demand because these young women don't necessarily know that they need care. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we can go to the farmer's market. We can go to rodeo or different events and we can take our mobile facility and create this pop-up retail experience that they have that also gets us the opportunity to talk to them about the care that they need and schedule care. So a lot of direct-to-consumer that um, is really, again, like I said, kind of creating demand among that group. But yeah. we're also going to work with pediatricians and try to pull pediatricians in and say, you know, refer our, your patients to us when they need gynecological care. There's a lot we're not doing that's in the pediatric space, so they're not losing, they're not at risk of losing their patients. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, one thing is counseling. So we will, as I mentioned, we'll be doing mental health in addition to gynecology. And so a lot of pediatricians are looking for places where they can send their patients who maybe need some counseling services. Yeah. So that's another thing that we're trying to do. So, um, yeah, a little bit of kind of the model of care, the way that we're approaching our revenue streams so that we can have more time with our patients. Mm -hmm. um, and then those referral relationships. I think it's really cool. I just want to make a note. And when we you pitched for the community fund, and one mm -hmm. of the things that we kind of mentioned and we talked about that got us really excited was like, we love this idea. We love the work you're doing. And like, how cool will it, is it going to be when we see that mobile clinic, like parked in front of Geekdom and mm -hmm. like to be able to so say right. like, it's a part of like Geekdom story and that it was kind of built here. And it just, I think it's awesome. Yeah. So we were like, Thank we were like, you. this is super cool. Yeah, and, we were all giddy about it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. We need to get a city permit for 
what's the other street that I'm thinking of? So Maine. 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 Yeah, Houston and Maine. So on Maine, and we just need to kind of keep it there. Yeah. Figure it out. Hey, maybe, yeah. maybe we maybe we know some folks. Oh. That'd be sweet. <laughs> You'll make some calls. Hint, yeah. hints. Yeah, and I, I just, I'm excited to see the wrap of that mobile clinic because your uh-huh. branding and like the colors. The colors. Thanks. Awesome. And hopefully Looks I can great. get a hat on that, uh, <laughs> that awkward shot. We just ordered more hats. I will buy one. Deal. So excited. I'm like Deal. me and Roger, he's uh, one of our employees. Uh, one one of the people that works here at Geekdom. We like saw them. We're like, oh, I need one of those. Yes. Like just like that. geeking out about it. Yeah. I love that so yeah. much. Yeah. We're going to, we'll get you a hat. So Betty's Co. comes in with the mm-hmm. care, mm-hmm. the awareness, education, mm-hmm. filling all those things, consulting. Um, and I think that it's really interesting that you said that because you had talked about how, you know, a lot of women... They're, when they're making their transition, they'll have their first appointment at a med clinic or a minute clinic or mm-hmm. something really quick. And especially those early on first conversations, I can imagine those are very personal and, you know, life-changing, mm-hmm. pivotal conversations. And to have those, like, in just a few minutes in the meantime between times, that's, I, I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, so knowing now where you are, mm-hmm. how... How do you think, like, if you can picture, like, a rodeo and the the your mobile shop, your mobile thing is already there and doing all the things, and there's 17, 18-year-old Jennifer Newell walking mm-hmm. by, how do you think that would have affected your journey? Oh, that's such a good question. That is. I was going to say, that's a good question. <laughs> well, at, for me, personally, because of my story. So my story is I did not start a period ever. And so when I was 17, I went to the gynecologist. So there's, there's, there's Jennifer at that age. And so for me, it would have been life-changing because if I would have seen that at seven, 16, 17, before I went to my gynecologist and I would have been able to go up to someone and say, Hey, I'm having this experience. Do, do I need to come see you? Mm-hmm. The person there would have been saying, absolutely, please come see me. Because we talked to my pediatrician when I was 15, they said, uh, come back when you're 16, you're really active. But at Betty's, it would have been, you should come to see us because we want to pull you in because you're in that age where you need to see a gynecologist regularly and it's not going to do any harm to check. Mm -hmm. So it probably would have alleviated a lot of stress for me. Um, It would have forced me to go in earlier. Um, If I was later Jennifer, if I was, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old Jennifer, maybe in college and I would have walked past, I think it would have been helpful because I would have been exposed to products and resources that could have helped me um, without feeling so uncomfortable about getting them, right? So you think about, you know, H-E-B. They pack all of the most awkward products into one aisle. Yeah. Everything that's uncomfortable, it lives in one aisle. That's so true. Walgreens does it. Mm -hmm. Everybody does it. Target's getting a little better. But you don't want to be in that aisle and have, you know, somebody from your school walk by. Yeah. Right. Or, or a teacher or something. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Your dad's golf buddies, like, you know, yeah. over yeah. there buying condoms and you're like, why are you over there? This is really awkward. I'm going to walk past it. Yeah. And so you just, you have that, you have that discomfort in that situation. And so I think, again, what we want to do is normalize it. And I think a lot of that is about culture. So mm-hmm. if they're walking by and, you know, we have, you know, kind of bubbly, enthusiastic people who are ready just to say, hey, let's make this more comfortable for you. We have hats and T-shirts and journals and bottles that you can come look at that have, you know, women empowering comments on them. They can kind of shop around and then we can allow them to subtly ask questions if they have them. Yeah. And just be there to make it feel normal and comfortable and welcoming without it 
them feeling so exposed. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking us back to the <laughs> 17, 18-year-old Jennifer <laughs> and, and ta- talking a little it's bit It's hard about to think about journey. what 17, 18-year-old Jennifer was like. Yeah, I know, but you're solving this problem that, that these women have today. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. It's really inspiring. Um, when So when you're not um, solving this incredibly important issue, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, well, we were talking about this a little bit earlier before we right. started the podcast, but I sing at Oak Hills Church, which is wonderful. I love it. Um, let's see. You want to give us a sample? No. Can we turn down our mics? <laughs> no, I, I do. I do. <laughs> is there some reverb on this mic? <laughs> um, I Let's see. My husband and I just recently got a very small, very humble sailboat on Canyon Lake. Wow. That's so cool. So we really? love that. Yes. He knows how to sail. Pretty well. I was just going to ask if you knew how to sail. I know the fundamentals. Yeah. And I'm learning how to sail. Yeah. Which is a blast. How are you learning? He's teaching me. Oh, right on. I that's bet fun. That's super fun. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> and frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I know you have three kids. So for anybody that's listening that's married, they probably know, like, sometimes your spouse is just not. You can't teach your spouse. The best teacher. <laughs> you cannot teach your spouse. Yes. So this is an interesting role because I. Uh, he can teach me this because yeah. I, I can set aside, you know, my own under, cause I have no understanding of it. And I know that it's a situation where like somebody has to be the captain and what the captain says goes, and <laughs> I'm just going to follow instructions yeah. as best as I can, Yeah, which is, which is funny. And, and have y'all gone full sail yet? Like turned off the, oh, yeah. and, oh you're oh, yeah. rocking and rolling. Yeah. yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Man, that's awesome. So I don't know much about sailing. I'm being totally honest i've been sailing one time in my whole life oh watch some youtube and, videos well i They'll went you. <laughs> i went with experienced people and uh-huh. they they got i mean i say experience they had been sailing for like three years at the time okay. but like they went from like not sailors to like full-on sailors yeah. and like super quick and there's so much involved there is there's a whole language yeah it's a little too much <laughs> yeah. for, there is a language and i'm starting to i'm starting to adapt it yeah adapt it adopt it um but yeah Justin, my husband, is is really good at that. Yeah. And so I'm so thankful for that because I love doing it, but I just, I don't know that I could take the time to really learn the way that he's learning all yeah. of the ins and the outs. He told me today he was watching a video on sail shape and like optimal sail shape, wow. and how to maintain optimal sail shape. And I kind of wanted to say, um, how long was that video? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure it could have been an hour and he's for like, sure. okay. Is it funny just, just to see it. like him nerd out on all these like because it's so intricate? Like a knot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's I like, love it. Sailing is like the most stressful, relaxing thing you can do. One hundred percent. Because when the wind is there, you you just go and you float, and you're like, "How am I moving right now? This feels so good." Yeah. But we took some friends out a couple of weeks ago, and it was the first time that we took friends on the boat sailing, like yeah. actually out in the water. And it was a weird wind day where we thought the wind was pretty light. It was going to be consistent. It was gusting from different directions. So we had to jibe and tack, which is like when the big boom kind of sweeps over. We had to do that three or four times. We had our puppy in the middle of the boat and he's almost one and he's like going crazy over things. So we had a hard time grabbing the lines. And I mean, one gust came over and we were healed pretty far over. And so everyone's like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. like, okay, babe, this is a little uncomfortable. So he's like, I know, I know. So he's, you know, kind of moving some things. So it's more comfortable. We put the dog downstairs. The dog then 
who's usually really good about telling us when he needs to go to the bathroom, but we weren't paying attention to him because we were sailing. Yeah. He decided to use the bathroom in the cabin for the first time. Oh, no. Oh. Both, yeah. Number one and number two. Oh, so I was like, wow. this, this this isn't fun. This is very <laughs> stressful. Yeah. yeah. We thought, you know, we're going to take our friends out. It's going to be a cool little cruise. No, yeah. no, no, no. So Man. stressful. So y'all go sailing on Canyon Lake. Do you leave mm-hmm. the boat out there? Yeah. We have it yeah. parked in a marina there. That's awesome. I, I grew it's up nice. around there. My, yeah. my uncle had a boat and we would go out there like every weekend during the summer. It's I a lo- beautiful yeah. lake. That's it's awesome. It's Jesus. maybe the most beautiful lake I've ever seen. I grew up in Tennessee. I'm from Nashville originally. Hmm. We've got some big lakes around us. You do, yeah. Over there you have some nice lakes. Yeah, big. I, I don't know <laughs> oh. that I would say nice. Oh, large. I it thought they were lakes. nice. Yeah. I thought they were nice lakes. And yeah. then I saw Canyon Lake and I'm like, okay, muddy green Tennessee water. Sorry, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Or this like beautiful, clear, like turquoise water. It it's is. like, am I in the Caribbean? Yeah, it's <laughs> Or gorgeous. am I in Texas? I also think that it'd be really, I've never sailed there, but I think it'd be really relaxing sailing Canyon Lake because it's just like really nice water. Like when I went yeah. sailing for the first and only time I went sailing, it was in Seattle and my buddy was like, I was like, dude, what if I fall in the water? And he was like, oh, you probably wouldn't last very long. It's really cold. I was like, oh, well. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Now it's still relaxing, stress type <laughs> right. situation. But, um, and also there's like whales and things. There's just, a, it was just a lot, but <laughs> that's really, that's really awesome to hear. So sailing is a big thing. Yeah. Um, why, what made you feel that you should quit the things that you were doing, your momentum, great job, great money, great lifestyle, and let me go do one of the hardest things for a human to do, which is make their dream into a viable company? Um, I would say for me, it just felt like a calling. You know, just with my personal history, my work history, my network, everything just kind of merged together to say, you know what, you can do this. You know, it felt attainable, even as hard as it seemed and as hard as it still seems, because it's a really big vision. We want Betty's to be a national women's health company. Yeah. You know, we plan to grow and plan to grow quickly. Um, so for me, it was, it's very much a personal passion and it feels like a mission for me and I'm a pretty mission oriented person anyway that's just my personality so to find something that I felt like it's attainable it's a mission it just it almost felt like this is what I have to do like I was kind of created to do this yeah and um, everything has led to this moment so it was it was definitely more of a how could I not Hmm. kind of scenario had to and I'd say I took about six months from original kind of idea conception to thinking about, am I really going to take this seriously? I spent about six months just making sure the idea wouldn't go away. You know, sometimes you have good ideas. It's like, oh, this Mm -hmm. would be cool. Yeah. And then it just kind of fades away because it, it, it doesn't, it's not important to you anymore. It's just no longer a priority and other things are clearly what you would prefer spending your time doing, but this just did not go away. It grew and grew and grew. And then I thought, okay, well, if it's still here, then I'm going to keep moving forward with this. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. We hear that a lot too. It's yeah. like I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking mm-hmm. about this thing and like where I'm at my job and I find myself like, man, I wish I was doing this other thing. So yeah. it was just like pulling at you. It's like, you need a, I love that. It was your mission. Yep. What was the, cause you had a lot of things you had like your job and your headspace and the money you were making all those yeah. levers. Mm-hmm. What was the thing that was like, if I do this, if I quit this, if I stop this thing, there's no going back and I have to do this. I mean, 
Oh, that's a good question. There have probably probably been a few at different stages. Yeah. So the first one was quitting my job. Yeah. And I I loved my job. I loved the people I worked with. Um, I mean, it was really it was so hard to leave that I put my notice in before Thanksgiving of 2018, and I didn't leave until July of 2019. Oh, wow. Because wow. I gave them an extended notice. Nine-month notice. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, I worked part-time for the second half of that, but I told them I would stick around until they found somebody to replace me, and then I would kind of help transition that person. So I wanted to make it a really smooth transition for them, and mostly for them. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I knew I had a long runway. So um, it worked out well for both parties, but... Um, but yeah, leaving my job, like the actual, and there was a moment of potentially turning back on that because I, I told you I stayed through, I stayed through June until July 1 of 2019. In May of 2019, my husband lost his job surprisingly. And so we went about six months being a zero income family. So everything that we had put back for the business that we had planned for to go down to being a one income family was now in full use. And oh it was really unexpected, <laughs> yeah. and um, it was really challenging. Yeah, scary, I'm That's sure. Very so scary. scary. And that would have been the moment I could have said, okay, I'm going to stick with my job longer. That was the same week that they put an offer into my replacement. So it took them from November to May to find my replacement. I'm still there with some type of consistency. I could have easily come back on and said, hey, I, I can't do this for six more months. Uh, let me stick with you. And they would have done it. Yeah, but they put an offer into my replacement that week, and I said, "Okay, I I, I can't mess with somebody else's world in this yeah. way." Yeah, and I, I've got to see it through. Wow! So it's almost like the decision was taken out of my hands. Sure, yeah. kind of divine intervention there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because I'm a pretty risk averse person. So entrepreneurship is kind of new for me. Yeah. yeah. I, I like a steady path. I was going to say, you're risky. Yeah. Rich, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my husband is the more, you know, he's willing to take some risk. I'm the one that's yeah. like, I've been working every day since I was 15 and I've had a steady paycheck and I'm not going to turn away from that. And my yeah. healthcare benefits, I need to check all the boxes. Yeah. And for us to, you know, have that kind of a scenario happen was was really surprising. Yeah. And, and how, how was it then? Because, I mean, he has to be a supportive partner if at that point in your life you figured i'm not going to go back to this i'm going to go and do this yeah so 100 percent. he was bought in completely bought in and again we'd had two at this point we had been talking about this business for two years we had been developing the model building a network um we had a sweat equity partner on board who was helping us do some of our financial planning and financial modeling for the business so we, you know, I think even at that, that point, we had had a couple of conversations with investors. We felt like right he on. was full, fully bought in at this yeah. point, really supportive, and would have been the first person to say, nope, you're not going back to your work. You're going to keep doing this. We've got to get Betty's up and running. And in fact, after he lost his job, we both worked on Betty's for a period of time until he went back to work. And right that on. kind of, that was a good, um, it was a good booster for us. It kind of propelled us in, a, in some new ways that, that was helpful. So it was a little more formed than maybe I thought it was. Like by, yeah. by that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had we had cool. we had done a lot of work there, but I mean, but still, like it, yeah. it, it, it I would have been the one that would have been thinking, Oh, I've got to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't I can't do this. Damn. But well that's awesome. I'm glad that you that you stayed persistent with it and moved Thanks. forward. Um so earlier we were talking about how um, you know, this 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 women's health in general can be a difficult subject to talk about or want to talk about or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, 
I'm, I wonder if, are there any like barriers that you see in starting a company like this that have prevented you from moving forward? Are there any things that, that you've had to like, or what challenges have you had with this that you didn't anticipate? Well, I would say one of the surprising things has been, um, I, I think some funding that would have been available had we decided to go the route of being a nonprofit. Um, but because we're a for-profit business, um, even though the missions align really well, and the reason that we're a for-profit business is not so much, you know, pocketing, you know, huge amounts of cash. It's yeah. really more about how quickly can we scale our business and how independent can we be. Um, that way we can have, you know, affect the most change it, among this demographic. I think, you know, we were intentional about being a for-profit business. But there is, um, there are a lot of grants, a lot of things that are available, but only if you're a nonprofit. So I was surprised how, um, how, how niche some of those things are. And I guess even in the for-profit space, when it comes to grants and other things, you know, our model is a little different. It's a little bit of health tech. It's a little bit of, I guess, femtech, if you will. And it's, it's a lot of service as, you know, too. Um, and a little bit of a lifestyle brand, right? Um, and that combination of, of items kind of makes us unique and that we don't fall into any bucket where there's a clear path. So I would say that's, that's been a bit of a barrier. Um, the other barrier is just really, uh, you know, again, having conversations with men, we had a, a funny conversation in the beginning with an investor, um, who, was kind of in the healthcare space and um, the conversation was okay, but you know, he just didn't get it. Yeah. And he was a dad of a teenage daughter and he still didn't get it. Wow. And kind of questioned my research and questioned how he, he, he point blank told me, I think you've missed the market on this. Wow. I'm like, based on what? Yeah. He's like, well, just, you know, my daughter and her friends. I'm like, who, who takes your daughter to the GYN? He's like, well, I said, when, you know, has your daughter gone or when did she go? He's like, well, my wife handles that. Like, so you, you really don't know. Yeah. So there is, as much as I've gotten really positive um, feedback from kind of the male community that does want to, you know, be involved in helping us move forward. And I've gotten really a lot of positive feedback there. Um, I've also gotten some of those moments too, where it's just, it's, it's not negative. It's just kind of falling on deaf ears. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, well, again, I'm glad that you've stayed persistent with this. Um, what? And I'm gonna. Usually, I ask this question, but I'm gonna ask it in two different ways. What advice would you give to uh, the 16 to 19 year old Jennifer Newells out there who were experiencing the same kind of diagnosis at yeah, a young age? Yeah. Um, I would tell them, you know your body. Listen to it. Learn it. If you feel like you're not getting the answers that you need go somewhere else. It's up to, it is up to them. It's up to our patients, our Bettys, to really advocate for themselves and to make sure they are getting the care that they need. And that that is one of the most beautiful lessons that I learned throughout all of this. I don't regret any of it because even if I didn't start Bettys, I I know my, my body and my system really well and I know how to go about getting good health care. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just that 
self-advocacy piece that um, I would really want to tell, you know, a young Jennifer Newell. Like if you don't think it's normal, if you have a gut instinct about it, follow that gut instinct until you get tested, until you, you know, really talk to a provider that's going to listen to you. Yeah. And where do they turn? Their parents to uh, provide? I mean, where does a 17-year-old go? Well, at first they'll keep it in. Yeah. Then they might go to a parent, depending on the relationship with the parent, mm-hmm. um, a friend. Yeah. Um, but it's usually someone in their personal network that they'll go to. Yeah. At least until there's a Betty's and then they can go to Betty's. Betty's. There you go. Come yep. on down to Betty's. Mm-hmm. And uh, Betty's is there. Are, there, are there any competitors in your space? Yeah, there are now. So what's funny is four years ago, there were zero competitors. Yeah. There was nobody in this space. And that's when I first had the idea. Um, a lot can change in four years. And, <laughs> and I wasn't dragging my feet. I was I was learning yeah. um, in that time that I, I waited to leave my job, but um, intentionally learning specifically for Betty's. But, you know, in the past four years, um, a few competitors have popped up. There's one company that is um, probably just barely ahead of us in terms of their delivery. And so they are a California-based company. And they are looking at colleges. Um, their model is quite a bit different than ours. Yeah. Or not quite a bit. It's, it's different in small but meaningful ways. Um, there's another competitor out of New York that um, has probably, they're probably the most lookalike competitor in how they care for women. They're probably targeting an age range that's a little bit older than what we are, but it could certainly bleed over into our demographic. That, that company is called Tia. Um, they do some fantastic work, right? I have kind of this love hate thing when I see TM, <laughs> yeah. like, damn it, that's really good. <laughs> but also <laughs> we were planning to do that. Yeah. You beat us. You so, hate how much you love it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so they're doing some really great work. Um, they have, and they're growing really quickly. They actually raised, I think 24 million in 2020 right on. for their series wow. A round. I don't even think they did a seed round. Um, so they're doing some, some big stuff. They're not in Texas yet. Um, but they're in, they've got one location in California, one in, um, New York city and one that they're opening in Phoenix. Hmm. But yeah, there are some other competitors, the femtech space, kind of the new term, right. For anything that's like women's health related and technology. There are quite a few, I, I kind of call them point solutions, right? There's like your birth control subscription apps. You know, there are, um, uh, testing type. Um, like diagnosing, testing, tracking type companies. You think of like one is Modern Fertility. Those are popping up pretty quickly. Um, and they're, some of those are kind of pseudo competitors. There's nothing quite as comprehensive and nothing that is really targeted toward our, our age range yeah. in the same way that Betty's is. Right on. Yeah. You, uh, so there are competitors, but not a lot. Right. And yeah, it's really not a lot. And the competitors that are here are within the last five years uh-huh. that they've started. Um, so, you know, having this kind of a of a company and this kind of entrepreneurial vision, and knowing that the the few competitors that are here are relatively new, uh, I can imagine that could be a scary space because you're blazing that trail and kind mm-hmm. of building the plane as it flies. Mm-hmm. Um, how has how has it been um, at Geekdom? Mm-hmm. Has Geekdom been helpful? Is there anything that that has happened since you've come over here? Oh, that's such a great question. And I'll back up just a minute because I would be remiss in not mentioning existing competitors like a traditional physician practice, right? Like there are plenty of OBGYN practices, not plenty, actually, there's a shortage in Texas of OBGYNs, but there are OBGYN practices that see our patient population and that, you know, we need to consider um, competitors, Planned Parenthood and other kind of pregnancy crisis centers are 
also competitors and college campuses are kind of friendly competitors, right? So they're serving that population, but in different ways. And all of them are slightly different where we could work with each of them, traditional OBGYNs and um, college campuses, you know, to care for their population alongside them, which is what we're trying to do. But there are some legacy competitors. So the list I was thinking was a little bit more of the disruptive competitors. For sure. But so geekdom, um, I have to say, Back in 2017, when I had the first I- the, f- the idea, mm-hmm. and I was marinating on that for six months and thinking, um, can I actually do this? Yeah. And at that point, my husband had been involved with Geekdom for about three or four years, I think, for quite a while. And so he had been exposed to the network, the community here. And that is what let us know, yes, we can do this because there is a community. Oh, right Like on. there are people... Mm-hmm in San Antonio who can help guide us that we can go to when we need to, to kind of help propel us. And so we had that in the back of our minds. And I think him knowing the intricacies of some of the programs, not all of them, but he kind of knew how all of that worked. Um, And we started to reach out to that network actually early on, just kind of one off, not directly through Geekdom, but it was still the Geekdom community. Um, We reached out to them one off and started to get book recommendations, process recommendations, you know, relationships, like, I mean, we found our attorney through an attorney who worked at Geekdom, and it was her referral. Oh, right on. So just like little things, it all kind of comes back to Geekdom in those very early months. Again, some of the the first books that we read that helped us map out exactly how we we were going to approach some of our first investors, that was all based on recommendations from people in the Geekdom community. So we did that, and then we kind of used those resources within the first, you know, in the first couple of years. And then it wasn't until... I guess mid 2020 when we felt like, okay, we've taken it as far as we can go. We have our model, we have our pitch, we have our you know, kind of plan of action, like a very detailed operational plan. We need money and we need, you know, some additional resources to help us broaden our network to get these other things done and get to that next step. So we kind of felt like we had we had moved pretty far along and that's when we reached out to um, the Geekdom community again. And, you know, pitched to Nick Longo, actually one of the founders of Geekdom. Hey, shout out Nick. Hey, Nick. Um, Yeah, uh, sent him a message, shot him a message and said, hey, we've got this business idea. We want to tell you about it and get your thoughts on it and, you know, see see what you recommend. And his first thing was Geekdom Community Fund. And so that's what we did. Right on. We, yeah, we we contacted Geekdom. We, We got in with the Community Fund and pitched the first time. We didn't win the first time. So pitched again. Thank goodness you all came back and said, hey, we want you to pitch again. I was like, like okay, please, please pitch let's yeah, do we it. Like, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I remember the first time that you pitched. And, you know, those two back-to-back community funds were difficult for us. Mm-hmm. Because, I, I mean, for anybody who was, who was on the judging panel, because, yeah. I mean, there were such strong pitches. And, you know, it's like like how you're saying that, like, we had read the books. We had we had gotten the pitch. We understand our model. All these things. Everything led up to that pitch for the community fund. Mm-hmm. It was like three companies were in that same exact <laughs> thing. Like they had done everything up for, for that moment. And so, yeah, yeah. I remember like uh, we even thought there's there's good companies that aren't gonna receive this. You know what I mean? And right. it, it's a good problem to have. We yeah. have a strong community. It is. Um, but yeah, I remember us thinking like, God, oh, we got to get Betty's go in this next one. <laughs> we have to. And so mm-hmm. 
That's so cool. I'm I'm so glad again that you persisted and and I came back too. into it. Well, it's just like we knew it. You could tell like from the jump, like she's done her research, like she's super passionate, like your presentation skills are really good. I remember I helped with like filming the the production yeah. of it, and even the production team was like, "Man, that was awesome! One take, boom! Like great." So, but yeah. I'm so glad it all worked out. I have yeah. no I no too. part of the decision process, but I'm like <laughs> yeah. fly on the wall, like cheering silently. So we love it. That's, yeah. yeah, that's how we are in those situations. But um, super supportive, obviously. And now your neighbors of ours, exactly where our office is. You know, we're all in the same <laughs> in the same yeah. hallway. Um, so I have one more question for you, okay? Because um, I think we're coming up on time, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm loving this episode. But uh, so. What advice would you give yourself, um, let's say, 2016? So you have you have the idea kind of brewing a little bit. Okay. Not sure if this is something you want to do, but it's also not something you can let go. Right. So what would you have told yourself and other entrepreneurs at that stage? That's a really good question. Um, I would probably say... goodness, I would say just, just take the next step. I think that's something that I've started to repeat to myself over and over. I have a tendency to be a perfectionist and want to get something to a certain point before I want to share it or before I want to move to whatever else is next. So if that next step is reaching out to your network now, just to pick people's brains, if that is to talk to prospective customers and kind of interview them and do some market research, you know, whatever that next step is, even if you think it might be out of order of how it should be, but you have the ability to do it, just do it. No, that's awesome. No, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't, I love don't that. Wait. I love that. But like just to take that next step because that gives you something that's relatable. It's not like a crazy like jump or launch. It's just, one more step. Yep. Just keep going. I think yes. that there's people think that like, and you mentioned it, like, well, typically someone does this part of the business before they even think about doing this. But like, if you have the ability to talk to a hundred people, like do it. Or if you right. have someone that's in the space and they're sitting next to you, like ask those questions and mm-hmm. just, just the low hanging fruit, if you will, just like, yeah, those little steps turn into big leaps and turn into Betty's taking over the world. Exactly. Well, yeah, I I have to say thank you because not only did you help kick us off on the very first episode of Geekdom Underground. Thank you. But also, I mean, you bring such great awareness, education and energy to our space. And so you're a member that we value very much. So thank you for bringing Betty's to Geekdom and for being on this episode and if you will for the first time in history mr jrg take us home for geekdom underground thank you for tuning in today this morning uh to geekdom underground we're still figuring it out um we're excited to uh have some more episodes planned out uh how do people learn about betty's Visit our website, bettysco.com, B-E-T-T-Y-S-C-O.com, please. And Instagram. Follow on Instagram. The content is great. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Y'all have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next week. We got a special guest uh, lined up, and uh, we'll see you then. Right on. Thanks, y'all.